0: Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World, WGN. I don't talk to Mark Beckoff often enough, Dr. Mark Beckoff. He is a favorite guest, though positively brilliant, and I believe he writes a book every day. I don't know how he does it. Professor Emeritus, Ecology and Evolution Biology at the University of Colorado Boulder, as well as an ethologist, a behavioral ecologist, And as I said, one of my favorite guests, I think I have on my shelf a whole Mark Beckhoff display of at least five or six or seven of your books. I, I don't know how you pump them out like you do your most recent one, A Dog's World, imagining the lives of dogs in a world without humans. How can that be? And actually, you know what? I've had that topic come up. You know, you're at a party, you're at some event. Uh, It's come up here on the radio. Listeners have talked to me about this, believe it or not. What would dogs do if people did not exist? And that is what you write about, or the essence of what you and your co-author, Jessica Pierce, write about in this book. How did you come up with that idea, Mark?
1: Well, you know, we were talking, we've written three or four other books together, (laughs) And we were talking about dog-human relationships. That's how it really started. And, and and that, you know, we're important to dogs. I mean, there's a lot of dogs out there who probably would wish that they never met a human. But it made us really think about the nature of dog-human relationships right now. And then all of a sudden when we were having lunch one day, this would be about three or four, probably four years ago, we just said you know let's let's formalize this let's think about what the world would be like for dogs without us how would they do and of course we asked people and you know the opinions ranges is all over the place from well you know we would never my dog would never exist without me to some people saying well i think they do well they might you know they might miss me but i think they would do well and it really i mean for both jessica and uh, me, you know, it really made me think a lot about the nature of dog-human relationships right now.
0: Well, I argue that if it wasn't for dogs, we would not be on this planet right now. Cro-Magnon men, our distant relatives, yep. they had dogs, as you well know and write about. Neanderthals yep. did not. And Neanderthals went away. We're still here. <laughs> you know. So I'm thinking that it's because of my dog who shares my bed with me, but that's the thing. So... We forget in the U.S. that where dogs share our beds, that dogs have increasingly, no matter what the economy is doing, they have it pretty good overall. Certainly there's cases of animal abuse, etc., etc., etc. There are dogs that land in shelters that absolutely should not. All of that is true. But by and large, dogs have it pretty good in the U.S. But when you travel to... Oh, name the country in South America. Name the country in the Middle East where dogs are thought of in a very bad way. Or name the right. country like North Korea. You know, so dogs are thought of differently in different parts of the world and have different lifestyles in different parts of the world, correct?
1: Right, and and you're hitting the big points. You know, a lot of people don't know that of the billion or so dogs in the world, probably three-quarters are free-ranging. They're either having limited contact with humans or none at all and so most people are familiar with you know what we call homed dogs but but the book also you know challenges which you know I've been doing for years when people say dogs are are our best friends. I mean, that's just not so. Uh, Or dogs are unconditional lovers, and they'll love me no matter what I do. And we really we tackle those questions as well because, once again, dogs are very selective. You know, if people have rescued a formerly abused dog, um, you know that that dog is not an unconditional lover. And as you mentioned before, sadly, dog abuse is not uncommon. So all these things basically weave into a tapestry of imagining the lives of dogs in a world without us, going beyond the first generation where, you know, you would have dogs who knew humans and then were not there, to dogs who never knew humans. And I don't think that would make one big bit of difference to them. Some people go, well, it's in their genes, you know, to be social. But, yeah, that means they could be social with members of other species including possibly cats and competitors such as wolves and coyotes.
0: So, if you take a a cat, and the cat is an indoor-outdoor cat, or maybe the cat just escapes and lives outside, and joins a cat colony, Mm -hmm. those cats do okay. Now, I would argue, cats are domestic animals, but there are others who say, well, they may or may not be, depending on who you're talking to, but they have the ability to instantly revert back to survival mode. How many generations would it take for a Chihuahua or a Mastiff, and does that matter? I'm talking, does breed matter, for them to revert back to the wild mode? It's been 40,000
1: years plus. Um, you know, it could be breed-specific, but one of the things we talk about is, you know, size and breed, are you know, go hand-in-hand. Um, I think it comes down to the individual dog. Small dogs would likely do well on their own. They wouldn't be competing with wolves or coyotes or other predators for food. Uh, they could probably run faster, and they themselves wouldn't need as much food as, say, you know, a large dog. So, breed could be important. I mean, depending on where a dog winds up. You know, a, a dog with a Smushed nose, who really can't breathe well, or dogs, of course, who can't, give, who, who can't you know, reproduce and give birth. Aha, they would you're right. Fade about out that. Immediately. Yep. So, so, right, right. Breed so, could be important yes. there, but I think we need to be careful about saying that dogs of this breed or that breed will do well or won't do well because it depends on the wild animals with whom they are now neighbors.
0: All right, so I have a question for you that wasn't in, if if it's in the book, I missed it, Mark. The book is called A Dog's World, Imagining the Lives of Dogs in a World Without Humans. You never really explain
1: what happened to us humans. Oh, well, there's a book by Alan Goldstein called The World Without Us, very very, Big seller, very excellent book that was published, I think, in 2007. And so, you know, he goes into different scenarios. Um, you know, we could be wiped out by, you know, a disease that only affects humans. I mean, you know, the, the timing was uncanny with the pandemic. You yeah, know, really? it wasn't planned that way. We started talking about it a long, bef- long before the COVID pandemic. Um, but, you know, there could be disease, and it could also be local pockets. So, you know, if we all go together, then there won't be anybody around to verify some of our predictions. But, And I, I really mean that, seriously. I, I often said to Jessica, God, I wish I could be the ethologist who would out-survive a lot of humans to see what dogs actually do. But, of course, there would be a decreasing audience as we disappear. <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> is it one by one or all at once? I don't know. That yeah, part- no,
1: I mean, you're, you're asking great questions, Steve. Um, but once again, you know, we really wrote it to revisit our relationship with dogs now and really paying attention to who dogs are. You know, they come from wolves. Or they have a common wolf ancestor. They've got wolf genes in them. They've got wolf engrams they in their brains. Do. They do. Hello, no hold dogs on. are not Just... going to go back to being wolves. But, but, you know, they still have some degree of wildness in them, which we have— we've, basically eroded during domestication, hmm. but as well, we don't allow them to do certain things that they want to do, well, which yep. could be, you know, you could say are very wolf-like or wild canid All
0: right, I'm going to take issue with some of what you just said. Okay. I will I will do that when we come back. I want to know what an anthologist is, what you do. And most of all, we need to know, will dogs survive once we go away? The man who knows... Because he also has a crystal ball. Mark Beckhoff is here. The name of the book, A Dog's World, Imagining the Lives of Dogs in a World Without Humans. When we come back on WGN. Dr. Mark Beckhoff, A Dog's World, Imagining the Lives of Dogs in a World Without Humans. That's the name of the book. Mark Beckhoff has written so many books. I'll tell you, my favorite, Dr. Beckhoff, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, are the books you worked with
1: Dr. Jane Goodall on. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- there's a book called The Ten Trusts and Yes, I've got it. I go to it a lot, believe me, even though it's it's hard to believe it was published 20 years ago. It seems like it was yesterday that the copy arrived and I called Jane and we celebrated out in California um right after it um it appeared, but yeah, it's I hate to say it because it sounds so self congratulatory, but it's timeless, and I used it yesterday in a in a presentation I did with a bunch of middle and high school students who really, really enjoyed it.
0: Well, actually, that's the book I'm thinking of in part, and your work with Dr. Goodall. So, if if something happens on the planet, we're not... I mean, we share a lot of genetic code, about 99% plus with chimpanzees, but... Mm-hmm. Except if you've seen me at dinner, but for the most part, I, I'm not like a chimpanzee, you know. I, and, and wolves, I, I understand, share a lot of genetics with dogs. But today, forty thousand years later, and the wolf species the dogs evolved from is long gone. We don't mm-hmm. even know mm-hmm. what that wolf was actually like for sure. And mm-hmm. and our dogs are not wolves. So the other side of the coin is. I would argue that greatly, not everywhere, dogs, unlike cats, actually, they don't hunt. Dogs, well, they do hunt. They hunt our garbage. So they scavenge in places where there are feral or free-roaming dogs, or they, they look behind the restaurant for food or for handouts from human beings. So they And they still, they're considered often part of a community. No, they may not sleep in the person's bed. They might not even go inside the home. They're more mm-hmm. like cats in the way they're treated, that were treated 50 years ago or 100 years ago in America, but they still may have names, and they might even be considered a part of an extended family of sorts. So I would argue dogs do have a special relationship with us, and it would be tough for dogs to revert back to being a wolf. What do you think of what I just said?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I I really don't think that they're going to be wolves although they you know they'll live similar lifestyles i mean some dogs will live alone they're alone wolves some people some dogs will live say as a mated pair you know a husband and a wife and some will form packs that resemble wolf packs um you know during domestication um there were a lot of changes so wolves have what's called a sagittal crest on the top of their head that's really large, much larger than dogs because that's where the jaw muscles insert. And so they have a much more powerful bite. So that would be one thing. And then during domestication, of course, we inhibited what people call the final or the killing bite. But I still think latent in a lot of dogs' genes would be these behavior patterns that we don't allow them to exhibit because, because you know, especially in close proximity to humans. I mean, I had a student who studied feral dogs, and believe me, they do really well on their own, and they do form packs that look like what we call wolf packs these days, and they can hunt and kill animals for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, if you will. But I still think that, you know, in their genes somewhere, they still have some wolf-like possibilities or leanings.
0: So how is that any different than us reverting to being chimpanzees?
1: Well, I think it's quite different because we're really rather different. I mean, you know, one of the major changes in dogs as they became dogs was that they went into two periods of heat a year rather than one. Mm -hmm. But, you know, dogs still can hunt. You know, even your—I mean— even my friend's dogs who live in apartments, if you let them out on occasion and they're running, they'll find a mouse or a squirrel, for example. So I think it's different because, um, because the wolves and the dogs are just so closely related behaviorally um, and, and, and genetically. But, you know, we've really evolved into a very different um, social and ecological niche.
0: The name of the book: A Dog's World, imagining the lives of dogs in a world without humans. So, the bottom line, and this is this is gonna kill you, I know. Me asking this question. <laughs> well, what happens? Do the dogs survive?
1: Some do, <laughs> and some don't. <laughs> now he's a politician. <laughs> No, I mean, I think that, you know, that's really their message, Steve, is that, once again, it depends on the individual dog. I mean, down the pike where there's, you know, the second generation of dogs in a post-human world will not have had any contact with humans, so it'll be, you know, he or she will be depending on their own resources, if you will. And, and their neighbors. I mean, that's the thing that's exciting about this project is that dogs are going to become members of wild communities, and they'll be competing with other carnivores for food, for a place to sleep, um, reproduce, raise their children. So it's a very completely different world for these dogs, but we have good models in free-ranging dogs today of which there are probably, give or take, 700 million because Like I said before, maybe only 25% of the billion or so dogs in the world are homed dogs and have fairly regular food and bed and veterinary care and um, a place to sleep.
0: And the good news is that's changing for the better for dogs in our world today, the way it stands right now, the way it stands today. And you said that in some places right now and in the world without humans, that dogs will pair up as husband and wife. But my my question to you is is how can that be in a world without humans? Who will be there to conduct the wedding ceremony?
1: (laughs) I think the dogs, given the freedom to pick who they mate with and who they live with and, you know, who they marry, et cetera, et cetera, and how they raise their kids, I think that gives them a lot of agency, we call it a choice, because dogs, most dogs are not even asked to consent to um, what we want them to do. True
0: enough. Yeah.
1: You know, getting their toenails painted or getting clipped (laughs) or being dyed a certain color. There's these new lime green dogs out there. And they're not given a choice, you know, as to who their partner will be. Or, Or, you know, females don't, don't have a lot of contact with their kids after they're born because they're taken away, for what example. We, I, and I really mean this, and I know you are very interested in this topic. Um, they, don't, they don't give consent, and people go, well, dogs can't give consent. Whoa. I said, yeah, they can. Of Put a dog on a leash who doesn't want to take a walk or doesn't want to do what you're doing or has got their sniffer to the ground, and they resist your pulling them along. Yep. You you haven't asked for their consent to pull them along and yank them by their collar.
0: I was just talking about that very thing today. A Dog's World, Imagining the Lives of Dogs in a World Without Humans. It is book number 3,400,012, I think. Dr. Beckhoff, as always, thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Steve. You're always pushing me and asking great questions.
0: So here's something that isn't talked about often enough on the radio. Maybe in Arizona it is, and it ought to be. Here as well. So let's say it's 85 degrees outside, it's sunny outside, and you want to walk your dog for whatever reason across a parking lot. You know, we forget how hot that can get. So let me back up. 85 degrees, like I said, and sunny, middle of the day, noon, one, two, three o'clock, it'll be 150 degrees on that pavement. Of course, given a choice, dogs will avoid walking on a surface that hot, but on a leash, they have no choice. So what do you do? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand down. People may look at you funny, but put your hand down, palm down, on the asphalt for about three minutes. If you can't go that far, your dog shouldn't go at all on the asphalt. It's a good test, actually. And also dogs do die in hot cars. You've heard me talk about that. Every death of a dog in a hot car should have been, could have been avoided. From last year, 2020, through this year, eighty two dogs died in a hot car. I said last year, two thousand and twenty from two thousand twenty one through today eighty two dogs have died in a hot car that we know of. probably others have as well on a ninety degree day, a car can heat up to well over a hundred degrees in just ten minutes, and that's even with the window open a cracked that for a dog dogs remember. They don't basically sweat. Yeah, I know they can a little from their paw pads, but they pant. And that is not nearly as efficient as humans. How well would you do in a car that hot? I would suggest you're not going to do well. And sadly, tragically, children die in hot cars. Dogs do too. And every one of those deaths, absolutely unnecessary. We'll talk to you next week, bright and early, right here on WGN.